He was hours away from being deported, and nothing short of a miracle saved him. Now, hear the story of a young man who is living the American dream. I want to welcome Alfredo Huerta, who came to the United States as Alfredo Garcia. You've got a great story, an interesting story on how you became Alfredo Huerta. Your story is, I think, it's inspiring. It's a success story. I think it's going to make people feel great. So you came across the border as an illegal. Your mom brought you across because you had an abusive father. She wanted to get away, and that's how you ended up in the United States. And so with that set up, I'll let you take it from there, Alfredo. Welcome to the Cultural Scavenger. I'm excited to be here. Thank you for the opportunity. So, uh, yes, my father was a bit uh, very abusive. So uh, my mother never wanted children, but they ended up having six. Wow. With that, you know, she kind of moved away from him, took all six kids, didn't leave him, uh, I guess, any small children with him because of that whole situation. And uh, little by little, one of her brothers came here to the U.S., uh, Bath of Virginia. And uh, he told her, hey, there's a great opportunity here if you want to come here and just try to see what we, you can do for yourself. And, and so she took that opportunity and uh, came here herself. And Where were you born? I was born in uh, Michoacan, Mexico. And, and that so, is where geographically? That would, if anybody's aware of Mexico City, it mm-hmm. would be pretty much southwest of Mexico City. Do you remember any of it at all? Michoacan, a little bit. I mean, just bare bits of it. But we did move to a different city, uh, Morelos, and that's a little bit more north of Mexico City. Mm-hmm. And so I do remember a lot more of that. I have vague memories from when I was probably three to when we came here when I was eight. Okay, so you were an older child, I guess, when you when you got here. Yes, I was born in uh, 1990, and uh, I came here to the U.S. in 1998. Did you speak any English when you got here? No, not not nothing. So I was submerged into the school system. I uh, just, I mean, it was just a surreal moment for me. Your uncle lived in mm-hmm. Martinsville. Is that how you got here? Yep, Bassett area. I mean, the Bassett Industries were booming in the 90s. Mm-hmm. And uh, he told my mother and she came here, tried, checked it out, and she saw a big opportunity Um we had to pay for our education in Mexico, uniforms. I mean, it was very expensive. Mm-hmm. There's no buses, so you have to pay for taxis. And, and she saw the opportunity that we would have here. So uh, she did uh, bring us here illegally. But some people know about the dangers of Mexico. And just having one female uh, role model in my life, which was my mother with six kids, I mean, that's a huge target on her back from people kidnapping kids to, I mean, not trusting law enforcement to just, it, it's it's a very uh, surreal thing there that yeah. people yeah. don't know. Well, and that's why people still want to come to this country. When did you know you might have some difficulties here? I think from the, a, a little bit from the time that I was... Um, eight and we crossed over the border. I I crossed over pretty much with uh, someone else's documents as a child. I kind of vaguely knew what was going on, but not really. It was almost like a game. And uh, by the time I got here and I was trying to enroll in the school system, I just thought I was enrolling with paperwork that I had. 
um, right. which is still kind of like my identity, just as a um, not legally identity. And I didn't really figure it out until um, I was in high school. Did you remember how the crossing went? I mean, was it clandestine? How did that go? Yeah. Most people will cross over like, uh, I mean, mountain ranges, the Rio Grande, swim over. But uh, for me as a child, it was a little bit safer because um, I was able to basically use someone someone else's identity. I, I clearly remember that. Um, what about your so mom? How did she had it? I do believe she crossed over kind of like the mountain ranges. So oh, okay. Man. So you all went separately. She came over and then you came over, right? Yes. She came here in uh, 96. A year after being here, she brought two of my uh, siblings, two mm -hmm. of my brothers in uh, 97. And then uh, in 98, she brought the rest of uh, the, the gang, the four remaining. Wow. So, Who did you stay with? Who was your guardian at that point? Pretty much my oldest sister. So uh, she was approximately 12 years older than I was. So mm -hmm. I was eight at the time. She was able to kind of take care of us. And, and she was she was the mom pretty much. So Wow. She had a huge burden on her because, I mean, she wasn't able to live a regular <laughs> girl's life, teenage yeah. life. She, she had to grow up very quickly. Wow. And, uh, I'm sure it was... Uh it was quite the reunion when everybody got back together again up here, correct? Yeah, I mean, it was amazing. Uh, once my mother left, um, I actually went through some issue, health issue, and uh, they were going to have to operate me. I think I was about uh, six, and they didn't know if I – it was weird. I, I don't exactly know what I had. But I remember just uh, having the doctors come over and uh, mark a little X on my uh, chest, and that's where they were going to operate. And someone uh, told my sister, hey, there's a different way, you know, uh, between these medications and uh, monitoring, we can really see if the tumor or something in, in my body could reduce. And uh, so being there just with my sister and every now and then seeing some of my siblings um, and just thinking of my mother, I, I think I remember speaking to her maybe twice by telephone. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all of that was just a blur. And next thing you know, I'm, I'm here just hugging my mom. So, so wow. that's amazing. So you all reunited and then things were plugging along until you had to get a driver's license, right? It was no big deal until then, yeah, I, I mean, guess. Just a, a, a kid being a kid, a child being a child, you know, going through school, making friends, uh, middle school out of the way, high school, going through the motions and and rem I remember being in driver's ed uh, when everybody's talking about license, getting this, getting that, driver's ed, driver's this. And once you finish with the course, you can go and get your license. And I was so excited. And I was like, oh, this is going to be awesome. But then there was kind of like a big old halt in my life there. It was a big realization that I wasn't like uh, everyone else. Who clued you in? Was it your mom or did, the, did you just go in and say, oh, I'm ready to take my license? It, it was a bit of a... Of, of, I guess family, but also myself, kind of being uh, blindsided by myself because you try to hide things from yourself, and and when reality hits, it kind of it kind of really just comes down at you. So, did you have any issues growing up? You know, being in school, slightly because people could you know basically tell this one doesn't fit. You're, like you're different. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So learning uh, English. And being submerged in the school system, it took me about two years to become fluent. And after that, I kind of fit in like anyone else, uh, except I was Mexican. People knew that. Right. But 
think to a certain extent, people thought that I was uh, legal, like mm -hmm. a Mexican American. Right. right. I had got to high school, as I mentioned earlier. Uh, I think that's when I became a little bit more open about my situation. So that's when people were just kind of like, uh, really? People like you actually exist? Like I was <laughs> in that unicorn. Yeah. And something they only read about. And yeah. like, oh, this is this is real. It's also very, you are a unicorn in the, in the sense that most people won't share this kind of story. And probably most people in your situation would prefer not to share it. But you had you had bigger dreams. You wanted to go in the Air Force, as I recall, correct? Yeah, I, I wanted to go into the military. I That was my dream. I, I got into ROTC as a joke, just uh, seeing these people dressed in uniforms, taking life too serious. And, and we were like, you know what, let's go in there and uh, break their party up. And uh, little did I know that they would affect my life in such a different way and uh, give my life structure and give my life uh, just meaning by mm -hmm. saying, hey, you can do something else. My goal was to join the military. Unfortunately, being illegal, that also did not help it <laughs> because you got to have some kind of legal status. So dreams after dreams just being crushed and just trying to shake yourself, pick yourself up, shake yourself off and just look for something else. But you obviously became legal. What was that process like? How did you become a citizen? A bit of a ironic and funny story on my end that's not too funny to other people, but uh, I was driving illegally because I needed to kind of get to the jobs that I was able to get. And, um, of course, after you get pulled over three times, it's kind of like without a license, suspended, driving suspended pretty much. It's kind of like you're out. So I went to court a day and trying to just pay my dues and get out of there and go back to work. And How old were you? I was uh, 19. Okay. And so the judge is like, okay, well, uh, this is the third time you've been caught, so you clearly aren't learning your lesson, so uh, we're going to give you a month in jail. And I was just kind of like a little bit shook my head inside, and I was like, what? No, this isn't happening. I, I just got to pay my fee, and I'll be on my way. So, I mean, they, they just get me and start processing me to be a, become an inmate. And um, wow. after they, uh, I had to serve uh, 15 days, and the other 15 were going to be pretty much just probation. And uh, from there, uh, Immigration Custom Enforcement came in, served me with my rights and papers. I signed my stuff. And when my time was up in the uh, Henry County Jail, uh, they picked me up, took me to Arlington, Fairfax area to process me, to deport me. And so that was a huge shock to me. But at the same time, I was at peace with it. I had met you. In fact, you took Allison to one of the proms. When you were all, when you guys were in high school, <laughs> I had no idea you were that close to to being deported. How did it go from I'm on my way back to Mexico to being a citizen? So I had graduated high school in uh, 2009 June, and then all of this happened through the process of that summer to uh, fall to finally December 2nd of 2009. That's when I went to jail. Uh, so December 17th is basically when they were driving me to Arlington to just get deported. Uh, my sister had been trying to talk to a lawyer, but at this point she said, hey, he has signed over his uh, rights to immigration. So he has no rights at this point. It's up to them what they're going to do with him. So I remember signing, reading paperwork and doing mm -hmm. all this. Uh, there was a guy uh, in ICE who was trying to talk to me in Spanish. And I was like, look, I, I would prefer if you just explained everything in English because I'll be able to really, really understand everything in detail. And uh, I was really nice to them, and they tried to be nice to me because I was, they have nothing against them. They're doing their job. Right. And they say, hey, this is 
your court date and uh, they released me on uh, on recognizance, right. meaning you show yep. up yep. and you don't have to pay a bond. So uh, I was like, sounds good to me. And they said, okay, so we're going to just let you out here and uh, you have signs saying you're going to be showing up to your court dates and hearings. I said, yes, sir. And they were like, do you want to stay in here until somebody comes pick you up? And I was like, no, I'll wait outside. <laughs> in, <laughs> case they, in case they change their minds. <laughs> exactly. I had a close friend of mine that went and picked me up in Arlington and brought me back home. And I just remember sitting in bed and getting home and laying down. And I just couldn't believe what I had just gone through in the last 15 days. And from there, the process began. Lawyer spoke with me and... Um, she said, I, I can't believe that they let you go. She said, this, this doesn't happen. Yeah, this I would is, think not either. That's a miracle that you got released. So uh, I, I, I had never met the lawyer. I had never spoken to the lawyer. And uh, when I, the first time I met her, she just saw me. She grabbed me and she hugged me. And, and I was like, what is this lady doing? And, and I realized that she was there to help me. She took my case as best as she could. And I owe it all to her. And at that point, I was applying for a residency. So okay. uh, at that point. I had the girlfriend, and then we became fiancé, so she applied for a, a fiancé visa, and between my status of being an ROTC, uh, having a few little uh, certificates, and having all the proof that I could get, that I could show that I had been here since uh, 1998. Right. It just, yeah, I guess it helped when you married Lizzie, right? We got married August 14, 2010, and from the moment that I met her and Allison, I mean, they were just inseparable, and... Yeah, and that was just such a light in my world, and they brought me from uh, the dark place that I was in. They they took me out of that hole, and I I got nothing but everything to thank to them because thanks to one that loved me, and thanks to the other one who just joked around and brought a smile to my face. Yeah, it's just it's, it's it's amazing what some people can do for you. Yeah, you became legal. Your mom, though, different situation. Tell me what happened with her. She just remained pretty much the same person that she had. Well, not exactly the same person, but same status, just working, trying to find jobs as she could because um, she would have to have either a husband or a child that was a, a U.S. citizen. Right. And none of us were. And, of course, the husband was back in Mexico still. And so she never she didn't want anything to do with him. Right. Little by little, as soon as uh, I needed to be here for five years legally. So in 2012, um, when I got my residency, I just had to watch the years tick away. And finally, five years later, um, I got to submit my application for my citizenship. And I was like, well, here goes, here goes nothing. Just fingers crossed that everything goes well. And I started going through the process. Did she get deported or no? She, she did not. She okay. went back from her own will um, two years ago. So when you come here illegally, there's a 10-year punishment that you have to go back to your home country, serve the 10 years, and then I could apply for some kind of legal status for her. So she's back in Mexico, just kind of marking time until she can come back. A bit of a harsh law. Uh, yeah. Is she uh, okay? Uh, yeah, she's safe. She's okay. But a harsh law that passed that um, anyone that had come here illegally and then left the country and re-entered they would not be able to get any kind of legal status. Right. So it's kind of like where we are. And so no matter if she serves her 10 years or anything until maybe the law can change. Once you graduated, 
I uh, found a job with a uh, Ameri staff, and they mm-hmm. uh, me at uh, American of Martinsville Furniture Company. So I was just working there, trying to work my way up there, and and that's when uh, December second, two thousand nine, hit, and had to go to jail. So kind of lost my job then. Yeah. Uh, came out back home and uh, they uh, called me back. They wanted me back. So I was like, awesome. I ended up getting a job with uh, Packaging Products Incorporated in Bassett, Virginia. And I stayed there until I started college. I started my dream of going to college. I went to Patrick Henry Community College in Brazil. Uh-huh. Uh, and from there, I finished my uh, two years and got my associate's degree and transferred over to Averett University, Great. where I uh, did aviation and uh, also criminal justice. So the aviation thing is still in works. The criminal justice, clearly, now that's become a reality because you just I just saw that you uh, became a Martinsville police officer. I am a sworn police officer with the, Martin, with the city of Martinsville, yes. That's a hell of a turnaround from in jail for two weeks, about to be deported, and now you're a police officer. I think that that is just a great turnaround. It's an opportunity that uh, I I never thought I would have. I, I mean, just being here legally, it was something that I just uh, had said um, bye to a long, long time ago. So now having any job that requires a citizenship, it, it's just like, I'm like, hey, I, I, I can do that. Yeah. So. yeah. And most people just take it for granted. They understood the background that you had, and that wasn't an issue, I take it. I'm, I'm I'm very open with the, everything that's happened with the, my traffic violations and this and that, but mm-hmm. I've never gotten into any kind of uh, major trouble with the law, fortunately. And um, they saw my everything that I had put. And since 2000, pretty much nine, I I haven't really been in any kind of uh, legal trouble. So right. How long have you been on the job? I have been on the job since uh, October 7th. Are you the only Spanish speaker on the force at this point? Yeah. Okay. Yeah. How's the the pilot aspiration going? The pilot aspiration, uh, it has been hard and difficult. But uh, since I am finishing the academy, I'll finish the academy uh, the first week of April. I had to put my commercial license on hold while I finish this. Mm-hmm. One one is paying the bills, and and the other one is going to be an aspiration for later on down the road. So I knew I had to focus on the academy first, and then I can uh, pick everything back up. Sure. Where are you in the process of getting your pilot's license? I am in the process of just uh, taking my uh, commercial license test. Oh, okay. So, so you've flown. I mean, after- you've got a license, right? You just need to get... Yes, I, I have my uh, private license. I am instrument rated, meaning zero visibility flights. Yeah. And uh, my commercial uh, pilot's license is right there in grasp. But I was like, I, I got to put it on hold. And I'll just need a instrument rating. I'm sorry, a multi-engine rating. And, right. and I'll be all done. So. Wow. Okay, so this is way beyond just firing up a Cessna and going out. <laughs> I am, yes. Yeah, so I, it, and also that, I mean, the first time I went up, I, I was just like, this is, this is a dream come true. I mean, this is literally a, a huge accomplishment already to just be able to do this. Yeah. So. Do you feel like when you're up there, it's, this is kind of where you belong? It's very liberating and free. I mean, I, I have no words to describe just being up there and being in control of this machine and being able to do that. It's just amazing. One of the other things that you do in your spare time is you run marathons. I do. That that was a uh, life-saving um, thing that I found. Uh, I was in major depression after 2009, and 
um, I just one day took off running. I just, out of frustration and anger, just took off running. And after I got done, I just ran until I couldn't. I think I ran about seven miles. And next thing you know, I called my brother up, come pick me up. I'm over here in uh, Martinsville. <laughs> From there, a friend joked and said, you should run a marathon. That stuck in my head. And I was like, you know what? I think I'm going to do that. I found the Blue Ridge Marathon through my search. And I was like, hey, I don't, I don't require a qualification time or I can just sign up and run this. Okay, I'll do that. So you started and, and now you're competing. So where are you with marathons right now? So well, I started with a 423 marathon time. And right now I have cut it down to a uh, 253 marathon. So whatever age you are, that's picking them up and putting them down. What you alluded to earlier that it was a lifesaver for you. My last guest on the on the program, Travis Overstreet, who is a a badass paddler. And we were talking about the therapeutic value of getting out on the river and paddling. And the marathon is the same for you. Travis had PTSD like I had PTSD, uh, different circumstances, obviously, but we found that getting on the river and challenge of running these really technical rapids was, it was very therapeutic. And I guess same for you with, with the marathon. It's a lifesaver. After I throw on my gear and I just go, it just feels so liberating. I told someone that that was the first time I felt free when I took off running and, and I was competing in my first marathon. People just cheering for you despite not knowing who you are, just treating you as an equal to everyone. It just made me feel amazing, and, and I wanted that feeling. I wanted to chase it. Wave the magic wand. What does Alfredo Huerta want to do? I'm already living the dream. If I had to go right now, I mean, this would be a dream come true already. You're playing with the house money, as they say. Yes. I mean, at this point, it's, it's just this is amazing. Alfredo, thanks for joining me today. You do have a terrific story, and I look forward to sharing it with everybody on the podcast. Well, that's the story. A special acknowledgement to Marianne Kennedy, Pat Bunch, and Pam Rose for allowing me to use their music from Safe in the Arms of Love, a song Allison loved. If you liked what you heard, please share my podcast with your friends. And while you're at it, why not subscribe? And I'd sure appreciate a great rating in Apple Podcasts, too. I'm Andy Parker. And I'll be here next week with another episode of The Cultural Scavenger. Thanks for listening.